Hi, everyone. This is Greg Harton, editorial page editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Today, I'm with Rusty Turner, our editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. And we have the opportunity to visit with Janae Huffman Gilreath, uh, who is a candidate for the House of Representatives in District 94. Uh, welcome to our interview. And uh, if you don't mind just starting out, uh, can you give us an idea of exactly where District 94 is? Absolutely, thank you. So District 94 is primarily downtown Rogers and it has a small part of Bentonville. So the southern boundary of District 94 is New Hope Road in Rogers. Um, the east, far eastern boundary is Second Street. It goes all the way up to Hudson Road, which as it crosses um, Interstate 49 becomes 14th Street in Bentonville. Then it follows um, Walton down around Rainbow Curve to 49 and then 49 down to New Hope. So that encompasses District 94. It's the smallest geographic um, legislative district in Benton County. Okay, so, so the majority of it in Rogers yes. and then it goes over to the west over into Bentonville. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, well, tell us, uh, obviously, it's an interesting campaign with uh, COVID and all the precautions that you guys have to take uh, as y'all are running for office. But uh, tell us, um, give us a sense of what it is that uh, you feel like are the issues important to the district and what, if you're given the chance to go down to the state capitol, um, what you would like to do with that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So the issues I started out campaigning on didn't really change that much. It just became more apparent that those truly were needs within the district. Um, obviously, I live in the district and I have lived in the district uh, since 2007. Um, it was very apparent that we needed access to affordable health care um, within the district. We also need um, broadband and more infrastructure uh, money put into the district. Interstate 49 dissects the district, as I just mentioned. There are three interstate interchanges within that district. Um, we need to have the funding to make sure that that is completed. We have several highways, state highways that go through the district as well that need funding. Um, and then education. And without education, none of the rest of it is important. We have to make sure that we take care of our constituents and make sure that they are able to provide for themselves um, and are able to have a pre-K, a fully funded pre-K, um, to help children be able to have some sort of structured learning um, for them. What we have seen and what I've heard within the district, and I also work for the city of Rogers for our water and sewer department, we have a terrible time finding daycare availabilities within the district, within all of Northwest Arkansas. Um, we have a lot of children that my district is very economically diverse as well. So we have a lot of individuals who have a struggle to pay for daycare. So they have at least one parent out um, staying with children. And if we can allow those parents to get back into the workforce, we have an economy here that is needing employees desperately. We have a very low unemployment rate Pre-COVID and even during COVID, we've got a low unemployment rate compared to the rest of the state and in most parts of the nation as well. We, we need to have our workforce back in um, as contributing members of society and to allow them to have children in a pre-K 
where the child is fed, watched after, socialized, and given structured learning is extremely beneficial. And states that have implemented this have, have been able to increase test scores for those children, um, reduce rates of, of the, what we call the school to prison pipeline. So um, kids are able to get out of school and have the workforce training and education that they need to get in. Workforce training is another area that I'm highly involved in, not only with the utility, but would want to take down to Little Rock as well. Well, certainly one of the challenges uh, with uh, your district in particular, Benton County in particular, is it's considered kind of Republican heavy um, and, and you're a Democrat running there. How do you convince voters uh, that you need to make that kind of a switch? So I jokingly say <laughs> that um, I'm a reformed Republican. I grew up in a Republican household. My first job um, out of college, I interned during college and then out of college just working on the Hill for a Republican um, senator from Arkansas. Um, I considered myself a centrist at that point. Um, the party has changed a lot, and I think a lot of the focal points that we are looking at are holdovers of policies that have been failed and won't work. It doesn't matter how many times we try to push that square peg in that round hole, they still aren't going to work. Um, for me, the epiphany was not only a, and, and most people laugh, um, but it was a spiritual journey for myself, but it was also through um, working through economics and seeing that that we need to really take a different approach than what we've taken in the state of Arkansas in order to make things work. So, Jen, I, we the last six months have been extraordinary uh, and, uh, because of the pandemic, and um, it's been a very uh, it's been very difficult for a lot of people. It's also been very emotional, and 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 the. Uh, uh, the polarization that seemed to have been present in, 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 in our communities politically seems to have just gotten worse during that same period of time. So talk a little bit about how the states responded to the COVID-19 pandemic in your view and what, if anything, you would uh, like to see the state do differently than what it's done so far. Yeah, so my view has really morphed um, on how the states responded. Um, I really was very concerned with how late we were um, getting to a mask mandate uh, across the state. And the fact that we don't active, actively enforce it um, frustrates me um, because we know that masks, science has proven that masks help reduce spread of infection or viruses. That's why we wear them in hospitals. That's why we wear them other places. That's why all across the world we've seen people wearing masks and the rate of infection has decreased. Um, I, I was also very frustrated that Arkansas was so late to the game with the pandemic, pandemic unemployment assistance. Um, this is another infrastructure issue. This is an IT infrastructure issue. Our IT infrastructure in the state of Arkansas is woefully behind. Um, and the fact that we were toward the very bottom of being able to get our system up and running so people could apply for money that they were due and money that kept them going is angering. We're a poor state. Um, we have people with very few resources 
and for them to not be able to access it because the state was not prepared and has not kept up on maintaining its uh, IT infrastructure is just inexcusable. So as a legislator, how do you feel like you can have some impact on those sorts of things? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so uh, for the water department, for the city of Rogers, I manage our IT department. Um, I'm our shared services manager. So I, I'm involved in, in all other duties as assigned. So the, any large project I'm involved in, we're looking at our asset management right now and how do we maintain and know where we are with our assets when they need to be, when we need preventative maintenance, when they need to be replaced. Um, so I'm very acutely and keenly aware of how to manage those projects. Now the water department is extremely small scale compared to the entire state. Um, but I do have practical um, on the ground experience in rehabbing entire infrastructures, um, both not only with software, but also with IT infrastructure and servers as well. Some of the uh, other lawmakers uh, have uh, gotten involved in a lawsuit in, uh, involving the governor's executive authority um, or emergency authority, I guess, as the chief executive. Um, uh, you, you feel like it sounds like some of the responses have been slow or not adequate. Uh, how do you feel about uh, the, the power, uh, uh, whether it's Asa Hutchinson or whoever is governor, have, you know, the powers that have been utilized, sorry about that, my phone just fell, uh, the powers that have been utilized in, in addressing this, um, do you feel like those powers uh, are, are uh, right right now or that uh, uh, maybe like some of these other legislators feel like the, le the General Assembly ought to have more feedback into uh, into that process? We have to have an Executive Powers Act because there are emerging emergencies that come up where we need fast action. Legislative bodies are notoriously slow. And when I worked in the US Senate, that is one of the slowest bodies. Um, and whenever you're trying to get 135 individuals to agree on something and, and to go back and forth in the legislative process, nothing's gonna turn around quickly. So when there is an emergency, we do need to have someone who can step in and make an authoritative call. That being said, initially, I had no qualms with the governor stepping in and making those initial decisions. As this has continued on, I'm struggling with why we aren't calling in an emergency session of the, legislat of the legislature, especially when it comes to how we are handling the funds that are coming in from the federal government and parceling those out. I do think we need lobbying from legislators for their communities in order to make sure that the funds are going where they need to go. So I think it's needed. I think it's gone on too long. Okay, so, so would you approach that as a legislator to try to modify how that plays out and, and, and maybe have some sort of executive or um, legislative involvement earlier in that process? Well, I would not join a lawsuit, um, but I, I do think that there, we need to look at it during the next legislative session on how the, the Executive Powers Act is written 
So after so many days or after certain touchstones, uh, at that point, we need to call in the legislature. So I do think it needs to be addressed. It's an old act. It, you know, it, it, laws are living and breathing, and they need to conform to the time that we live in. So I want to change the subject a little bit, Janae, and ask you about um, th this other parallel crisis our country has been involved in, and that's the the the, the racial tension that that's been uh, uh, spread basically around the country. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how uh, you would, as a, as a member of the General Assembly, approach uh, addressing the concerns uh, that have been raised by the the, the higher profile of, of racial uh, uh, tension, the issues of racial tension. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's multifaceted. I wish it could be cured with one, you know, swoop of the hands, but we've got to look at how we um, police within our nation. We need to look at our incarceration rates. We need to look at recidivism within our, our uh, penal system. Um, what are we doing with individuals when they are incarcerated? Are we just warehousing them and, and creating a, a deeper strife and tension? Um, we do know that we incarcerate far more people of color and black and indigenous individuals than we do white, um, even based upon the same crimes. So um, we, there are racial justice issues that we need to take a deep look at, including training for our police force. Um, my daughter spent, I've studied abroad twice, both times in Europe. My daughter spent a school year in Europe through a Rotary Youth Exchange. And one thing that I noticed while I was studying abroad and that she as a 16 year old came back, back and talked about was the difference in um, police presence within European countries and how the civilian population interacts with them. We've got a lot to learn. Our police policing system has been around since the 1800s and has had very little change. Um, when there are uh, police brutality issues, um, those need to be looked at and um, to whom much power is given, much responsibility is required. Um, and, and we've got to really uh, hold people accountable on both sides, but I think that it's it's time now that we look at the system that we've created, a society that we've created. So um, again, I, I'm sorry to, I, I keep putting the question this this direction, but in terms of, in terms of the role of the legislator, uh -huh. um, how do you affect some of that, that, uh, is it through legislation? Is it through just conversation? Uh, how, how do you tackle that? So I, different states have done it differently. Um, so I look at Camden, New Jersey and what they've done with their revamping their, their police force. Some of it was done through city council, so a legislative process. Um, others of it were done through the state of New Jersey, um, increasing the number of hours and the type of training and skill sets that are required for the police force. Um, I struggle when the lady who does my hair is required to have more hours than the man who carries a gun and protects us, more hours of training before they're licensed. Um, 
being a police officer is a highly stressful job. They're required to take care of a plethora of situations. Um, and I don't think that we provide them with enough um, skill training or with enough debriefing. So I would like to see the legislature help fund areas for chaplaincy or um, post-traumatic stress, uh, because we know PTSD is extremely high in first responders. We've also seen areas where they provided um, therapy, whether it's through a chaplain or through a psychologist. Um, the rates of suicide among first responders is extremely high, and when they have access to that debriefing, the suicide rate decreases, and the complaints against the police force also decrease as well. So there are legislative ways to do it. Um, sometimes it, it is taking money from increasing uh, various forms of policing and putting it toward boys and girls clubs or, or toward more training or um, toward more therapy, bringing in social services so that we have someone there who's able to de-escalate, who's trained in negotiating with the public. So I, it, it's a hard topic, but we would not be the first state to look at it. And other states have, have implemented things that have seemed to work pretty well. I want to make sure we're clear. I, you know, you hear a phrase a lot out there, defund the police. Uh, is, is that something that, that you're talking about? N not defunding. Okay. Reallocating. So, uh, you know, I, I struggle with the nomenclature. Um, I think oftentimes there are people say defund the police and what is understood or even what is said is let's take away the money from the police department. And I don't, we don't need to do that. I firmly believe we need to have police. But I also think that we need to invest in preventative measures so that it's, it's not always the hammer, but sometimes we look at the nail and try to provide um, alternative methods for, for preventing, preventing crime, keeping people out of those situations. Okay. All right. What sort of um, issues do you feel like are um, not necessarily um, critical to your district specifically, but that you would anticipate are uh, will come up next uh, next session that uh, that you you have strong thoughts on. So one of the things that's burning on my mind right now um, that I would like to bring up is our SNAP benefits and how SNAP benefit mm. benefits are allocated or looked at across the state of Arkansas. And that would be the, the supplemental nutritional. Uh, yeah. I, I can't remember what SNAP stands for, but. Uh, assistance program, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Um, in the state of Arkansas, back in the 70s, we set a cap or a ceiling for the amount of assets an individual could have. I'm a former banker, I'm a former lender and investment professional. If you want to get people out of poverty, the best way to do it is to help them learn how to save. And we have a lot of unbankable individuals within the state of Arkansas, even within my own district. And when the ceiling was set in the 70s where the amount of assets a family could have at $2,500, that $2,500 went a whole lot further than it does in 2020. Mm. Um, 
it does not go anywhere if you're trying to keep a family out of poverty or to move them um, out of poverty. So I would like to see that ceiling changed, um, increased or removed. There's no sense in having that. And I, I know that that would directly affect, we've got a third of our families in the, in the state of Arkansas who have been food insecure during COVID, a third. I mean, that's a million people. And when you think about that, we live in an agricultural state. Um, it's heartbreaking and it's sickening that in the United States, we have people who don't know where their next meal are coming from. So I, I anticipate bringing that up. Um, there are gonna be a lot of funding fights. I know that the fiscal session was, was this year, but we're gonna have to look at how we create programs and how we're gonna be able to pay for them as well. Um, I've heard rumors about education um, education is always a hot topic in the legislature. Um, I, I can foresee lots of, it's a very contentious year. I can see a lot of different things coming up next year. Well, I will tell you that, uh, you may hear the, the clickety clack of little toes. Uh, my dog has decided to be interested in what we're discussing here. So he's, he's down here beside me. Uh, uh I'll let you know if he has any questions. Okay. Uh, um, <laughs> Uh, one issue that, uh, again, is not specific to, to your district, but is uh, uh, certainly of interest to Northwest Arkansas is, is the future of the Buffalo National River and uh, um, the uh, proposed moratorium on uh, hog farms, uh, small, large, and, and medium-sized, rather, um, hog farms within the watershed. That's been a big issue. The governor supported a, a permanent moratorium. Uh, the legislature has not, uh, has not uh, followed through with that. Uh, there's opposition there. Um, give me a sense of how you view that issue. I, um, I greatly value our natural resources. And once they're degraded, you cannot repair them back to the original state. Um, we, I, again, work for Rogers Water Utilities. Um, the quality of the water, now the Buffalo River is not directly um, a water source for drinking water, but um, it affects, what we do on the Buffalo River does affect how we handle other waterways within the state of Arkansas. And the more degraded a drinking water system becomes, the more expensive it is to treat and the more chance for um, bacteria or viruses or other things to come out of that water. I think it's highly important that we protect our natural waterways uh, within the state, not only for our health, but also for the scenic beauty. It is a great tourist attraction. Arkansas makes a whole lot of money off of tourism. Um, I think that ranks very, very, near the top for um, highest revenue sources for the state. Um, if we don't take care of these things that bring us money, we're gonna have even more issues. It, we also need to take care of the earth. I really struggle with um, the whole thought of, it's here for us to do whatever we want with and we don't take care of it. That's just not how I was raised. Um, you take care of what you have. And, and it's a beautiful, I was going to say pristine, had been a very pristine place um, until some of the CAFOs caused algal blooms. But we do need to take care of it. And I think the legislature really needs to act on it. 
So, so how do you feel like that could be accomplished? Because certainly Arkansas is a strong property rights state. Yes, it is. Uh, so I, I worked on with a group called NANTRAG, uh, Northwest Arkansas Nutrient Trading Group. So we were looking at nutrient trading agreements, um, primarily for water utilities or, or uh, wastewater treatment plants. That's one way of looking at maintaining and making sure that we can keep certain nutrients out of areas. We also need to look at um, just because you own a piece of property doesn't mean that you can affect people downstream because it does end up being exponential. Um, we are a property rights state to the point where renters in the state of Arkansas have very few rights, have no rights on or no claims on inhabitability for their property. We, we need to start looking at this differently um, about doing what's best and being good stewards rather than just being very myopic and looking at it's mine, I can do with it as I please. I, I foresee that being a, a difficult and probably contentious fight as well. I mean, we fought with the state of Oklahoma for how many years on water? Jenna, I want to shift gears a little bit. Uh, pardon the pun, because we're going to talk about highways now. Um, tell me about uh, tell me about what your thoughts are on issue one, the extension of the Hastings sales tax for for highways and roads. Uh, how are you going to vote, and why? So I'm for it, uh, and the reason I'm for it is because I think our highway infrastructure is extremely important. Um, and we fund constitutionally education um, because we value it. Uh, the roads in the state of Arkansas, as you've heard Dick Trammell say in Rotary many times, Rusty, um, Arkansas has far more uh, miles of uh, highway than per capita than almost any other state. So if we don't take care of them, then again, we're going to have trouble getting our trucks out of northwest Arkansas through J.B. Hunt, and Tyson, and, and Walmart, and across the state. If we're asking for um, states to be productive, or our state to be productive, we need to provide the resources, including highways. I wish it had been structured a little differently, um, where it included more than just the Department of Transportation, where it looked at providing broadband across the state as well, other infrastructure needs, not just highway infrastructure, but we have to fund our, our state highways. Okay. And let's talk a minute about issue two. That's the changing the restrictions on, on term limits. Uh, how do you feel about issue two? The, the instead of 16 year limit, uh, 12 years, four years off and then more. Uh, I, I'm very against it. Um, we have had term limits come up before the legislature and through um, initiatives on the ballot many times within the state since I've been able to vote. Um, this coming up from the legislators seems to me extremely self-dealing. Um, we already have a limit. This allows them to step out for four years and then re-enter. And I think that it, it, it stinks to me. We already have something. Um, and this just allows them to be in the legislature even longer. So I would vote. I am voting against that. Okay. And then the last one is issue three. That's the changing in the way that um, citizen-led initiatives qualify for the ballot. Some people think it makes it, it, that the new proposal will make it very difficult or nearly impossible for citizen initiatives. I'm incredibly against that as well. Um, 
I think it makes it far too onerous. We are uh, the United States um, through our federalist system, as was stated, we are uh, of the people, by the people, and for the people. And this, in my opinion, takes the people even further out of making decisions. Yes, we are a, a democratic republic where we have elected officials to represent us, but um, the ability for people to put initiatives on a ballot is our chance to, um, when we have a legislature that doesn't listen to the citizenry, for the citizenry to stand up. I, the part I do like is the cure period. Um, I do think we do need to increase the cure period because it's, we have a hard time knowing what's gonna be on the ballot anyway. We have a very uninformed um, electorate population and for them to get to the last minute before they know what's really going to be on the ballot or what's going to count is not right. So I would like to see a longer cure period, not necessarily in January, but to give us more time to make sure that, that we have everything right before we put it on. All right. Thank you. Absolutely. And, and just be clear, the cure period is talking, you're talking about the uh, getting the number of signatures uh, and, and having a second opportunity to get enough signatures if the first uh, if the first group doesn't meet the the standard correct well so moving so right now it's like july i believe where you can where you have to turn in your signatures if we back that up so it's earlier in the year so we can verify that those signatures are accurate so that we can't should we need to gather more or what needs to be done we will have a time period so that we know far sooner than october or late september what's actually going to be on the ballot yeah, it certainly seems every every two years we uh, we do have a lot of legal battles and and uh if we start with you know eight things uh moving toward the ballot it it ends up being you know three or four yeah. uh so it's uh it, it almost seems a never-ending uh never-ending battle there. Um, so uh, you, you do have an opponent uh, in this race, but not an incumbent. Uh, um, so what are the um, things that you're asking voters to think about uh, in terms of, of this particular choice that they, they will need to make when they go and do the, uh, uh, when they fill out their absentee ballot or they go into the polling place to to cast a ballot, uh, what do they? What do you hope they, they they keep in mind? Well, I really hope that they keep in mind that they've got a clear choice between individuals who have both been in and a part of the community, and others, and another individual who has not. Um, I I think there's also a very clear choice between myself, who has worked in the in the public sector as well as the private sector, um, and understands what it takes to not only create legislation, which I did in DC in my early 20s, um, but also work in public finance right now with a city utility. Um, it is not like balancing a, your family budget on $40,000. Um, we're talking millions and millions and millions of dollars. We have to make strategic decisions that affect 3 million people directly um, and there are constitutional limits on what we can and cannot do with the funds. So I think it's vitally important that for the state to start thinking more proactively and progressively and look at individuals who have had experience rather than those who just want to 
create quote, creative efficiencies. Um, it's easier said than done. And while we all want efficiencies, it, you can't expect teachers to put more money um, out of their own pockets into their own classrooms to make things continue to work. So I really want them to, to look at the two, to look at both of us, reach out to me and ask me questions. Um, the number I list is my phone number uh, because I want to talk to people. I'm running to be a representative, um, not, not a dictator, not um, a, a siloed out individual who's out of touch, but I want to represent all 30 or 40,000 as it may be now, people that live within my district. Okay. Rusty, did you have something? No, I think we're, we're close to being out of time. But uh, uh, Janae, we appreciate your time today. We appreciate you spending some time with us and, and talking about your race with us. Thank you, Rusty and Greg. I appreciate it. Yeah. And, and just uh, kind of as, as the last question we ask a lot of candidates, is, is, is there some issue or anything that we haven't covered that you wanted to make sure that we talked about today? We really need to keep in, in mind um, that Northwest Arkansas is the financial hub for the state. Um, and we need people down there who will not only look at the entire state, but will also fight to keep funding up in Northwest Arkansas. Um, it, it's a, a delicate walk and balancing act, but we need someone who thinks very globally. So thank you for the time. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. We appreciate you uh, having the chance and, and uh, to come in and or not to come in, I guess, to, to zoom in and to visit with us. And uh, we appreciate that time very much. Good luck out there on the uh, campaign trail as, as uh, the COVID campaign trail, I guess. And, uh, and take care of yourself. Thank you.